0: Correction and source of uh, guidance and source of comfort. Father, we uh, need the working of your Spirit in our lives. Father, we need the direction of your Word. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would so work in each and every one of our hearts that your Spirit would speak to us, that your Word would speak to us, and that we would heed what you're saying to us this morning. And that your word would not fall upon um, resistant hearts, but it would fall upon uh, open hearts. And so, Lord, you are able to do these things and so much more. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Second uh, Timothy this morning. Second Timothy. It's in your New Testament it's toward the end, right before Titus, and right after Second Tim, First Timothy, and. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 2nd Timothy chapter 3, and we will be looking at verses 12 through 17 of 2nd Timothy chapter 3. 2nd Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 of 2nd Timothy chapter 3. Every person is known for something. You know, if I uh, told you, gave you the name of someone, you would instantly, if you know that person, think about things about that person. So if I mentioned your spouse or your neighbor or your uh, uh, children or your father your mother or someone in this congregation that that you know, uh, just by mentioning their name, there are going to be certain things that come to your mind characteristics about that person, or a shared experience that you had about that person. Uh, You can do that with any person that you know. You can do it with uh, businesses. For example, if I mention BP, what's the thing that comes to mind right now? Oil spill. Uh, If you had 500 people that have any idea what's going on in, in the U.S. and you said the words BP, odds are 499 or 500 would say the first thing that comes to mind is oil spill. Or if you said that energizer, maybe not everybody, but for me and I think a lot of people, the first thing that comes to mind is batteries or the little bunny that beats the drums or things like that. And you could do that for multiple businesses and multiple people. But this morning I want to begin uh, helping us think about the question of what comes to mind when we say Red Bud Baptist Church? What things... Uh, come to people's minds? What things come to our minds? What are the things that uh, are distinct about Redbud? What are the things that that people know Redbud for? What are the things that set us apart, that you could say are, are uh, distinctive characteristics? I've been thinking about that question for uh, some four months now, and what I have come to is what I am hoping to propose to you over the next three weeks, uh, beginning this morning. Are three uh, core values or three uh, core distinctives that hopefully over time uh, will become characteristics of Redbud Baptist Church, and uh, some of them, some aspects of them, are already characteristics of Redbud Baptist Church. But the hope is that these things, when we think about what is distinctive about Redbud Baptist Church, that these things are distinctive about us. And the three things are this: the first one is. Biblical saturation. The second one is covenant community. And the third is gospel presence. And what I want to do over the next three weeks is unpack exactly what is meant by those words. Uh, And so this morning, obviously, we'll be talking about biblical saturation and and what it means to, to be a congregation that is biblically saturated and saturated with God's Word. And so that word saturation there is intentional. Because think about for, for a moment, uh, you know, in June, it's not so much the case now. The Lord has blessed us with, with great rain over the last few weeks, and especially this past week. Uh, but in June, we went for about 30 days or so, give or take, without any significant rain. And what, what happens to the ground? It's just dry. Uh, you know, you, you can... Uh, the patches where there aren't any grass, you can just kick your feet or run your finger through it and just dust comes up. And where there is grass, you just walk in and just the grass is crunchy it's just dried up and it's just starving for nourishment, starving for for water. Well, sometimes we get uh, whatever you want to call them, these uh, rain dustings or or drizzles or whatever it may be that it may may come a little shower for about 20 or, or 30 minutes. And let's say you were in Lewisburg and uh, you co- you're coming back from Lewisburg and you're coming back to the field or to, and you see that it has rained a little bit. And you see that the road is wet, the ground is wet. Uh, what is something that you can do to see how much it rained? You can get out of the car, do your finger like this, and just run it in the driveway. And and what's going to happen if it hasn't rained a lot? What's going to be right under that little uh, thin layer of, of wet dirt? Dry dirt. Dust. So when you drive up, there is the appearance of a good rain. But when you get out of the car and you run your finger through the ground, you realize that Saturation has not taken place. That the nourishment that the grass needs uh, isn't going to happen. Because that little shower, all it did was give the appearance of adequate nourishment. But when you start unpacking the ground, you realize that the nourishment that is needed has not been received. So when we talk about biblical saturation, I am talking about having God's Word take such an effect in our lives that it's more than just the appearance that we believe God's Word is true. Because if I asked all of you this morning, if you believe, do you believe that uh, this is God's Word? Do you believe that it's true? Do you believe that it's infallible and without error, and that it's a good thing that we do things by the Bible? My guess is all of, most of you, if not all of you, would say, yeah, Corey, I don't have a problem with any of those statements. But the question is, are those things we say we believe driving our lives? Are we giving the appearance of biblical saturation like with the sprinkle that comes, just the appearance of good nourishment. Or is God's Word truly saturating our hearts and our lives? So that regardless of what aspect of our lives that we peel back and uncover or run our fingers through, dust doesn't come up. But evidence of true nourishment comes up. Just as this morning, if you took the shovel and stuck it in the ground, You know, we've at least here around here at our house. We've had a good deal of rain this week, and so the the ground is saturated. That I can dig down, and it's going to be several inches below the ground. It's going to be wet. The ground is still going to be wet because the water has penetrated to the roots of the grass, and they are receiving the nourishment. So, in this core value, talking about biblical saturation, the desire is not that we are just all here this morning gathering together and we agree that God's Word is good, but that it actually affects the way we live. So that when we cut open our lives, what we see is the result of God's Word in all aspects of our life. That it permeates our lives. That it saturates our lives. And this morning, this text from 2 Timothy is a beautiful picture of how God's Word uh, is intended to do that. And we're going to see two things from uh, this passage. The first one is that God's Word alone brings life or gives life. And the second one is that God's Word alone sustains life. So God's Word alone gives life. God's Word alone sustains life. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 12. And Paul here is writing to Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul wrote before uh, before he was killed. And this is what he has to say to his uh, young disciple Timothy. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What I want us to notice in verses 12 through 15 is the first thing, is that God's Word alone gives life. God's Word alone gives life. Notice what Paul does in verse 13. He's talking about these evil imposters. He's saying, now at one time there's going to be, uh, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. He said, on the other hand... You know, opposite of those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is what you see in verse 13. You have these evil people and imposters. Imposters. So he describes them with two things. First, he says they're evil people or they're imposters. And he says they do two things. They deceive and they are being deceived. And they're going from bad to worse. Now, no one here is going to argue with the reality of that statement. You can look at your neighbors, you can look at some of your family members, you can look at people that all of us know, and the truthfulness of that statement is seen, is that those people that we know without Christ, there are many of them that are going from bad to worse, Uh, that they are easily deceived by the pleasures of the world, then they are involved in deceiving other people. And so Paul, what he wants to do here is uh, is telling Timothy, don't be like that. So in verse 14, what does he say? but as for you. So he's saying, on the one hand, you have these evil imposters. Evil people and imposters who deceive people, and they in turn are deceived. But for you, meaning that in opposition to that type of person, this is the type of person that I want you to be. And what does he say? Continue. Now this is the only command in this whole passage. So he's saying abide, or the word here literally means abide. So he's saying, Timothy, now I'm telling you about those evil people over here who are deceivers and they are deceived themselves. But as for you, I want you to abide. I want you to, to remain, to continue in. And to continue in what? Two things. What you have learned and what you have firmly believed. So he says, Timothy, Timothy, I want you to abide. Abide in what? Abide in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. Now what is that, that he has learned and firmly believed? And he goes on to say, Knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what is he wanting uh, Timothy to abide in? The sacred writings. What is the sacred writings? Is it some uh, books that we don't have access to anymore? No, what Paul is referring to is specifically the Old Testament Scriptures. He's saying that Timothy, from your childhood, and the word literally means there as an infant. It's the same word that's used uh, to talk about John the Baptist when he was still in the womb. And talk about Jesus right after He was born. So basically He's saying, from the time that you were an infant baby, from the time you came out of your mother's womb, you have been acquainted with God's Word. And the result of it is that you have learned it. You have known it. You have been taught it. And you know it, and you still know it today. And you firmly believe those things. So he's saying that what happens is those who taught you, in which in Timothy, excuse me, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we know that those who taught him, to just turn over one page and look at First Timothy. Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So when he says, don't forget those whom you learned it from. Who is he talking about? He's talking about his mother and his grandmother. Who were strong in the faith. And one of the things that they did from the time that Timothy was an infant. Is that they taught him God's word. They acquainted him with God's word. And the result was that Timothy believed in it. He he trusted in it. So you say, "What, what what did they teach from God's word? Well, they taught what he needed to believe. The fact that God created me. He created you. And the fact that He created us to, to obey Him. And to love Him. And to live for His glory and honor. And then they taught Him the fact that, that although God created you for His glory, that you have sinned against Him. You have rebelled against Him. And that rebellion and that sin separates you from God, Timothy. So Timothy, the only answer and solution to, to your rebellion and sin against God is to believe in the One Jesus has sent to rescue you. To Believe in the One God has sent to rescue you. Who is His Son? Jesus Christ. So if you will trust in Jesus instead of yourselves, you will have salvation. So it's not that he's believing in something that doesn't make sense. He's believing in what he has learned. So it's interesting that Paul says that first there was an exercise of the mind. That you studied the Scriptures. That you were taught the Scriptures. That you devoted the, the abilities that God has given you to learning God's Word under the instruction of your mother and your grandmother. And from that, you firmly believed in the Gospel. Because he says, this was able to make you wise for salvation. So how was Timothy brought to Christ? Was he brought to Christ by gimmicks or games or uh, tricks, entertainment? He was brought to Christ by God's Word. As Paul says, it is the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. And this is something that is confirmed throughout the entire scriptures. That everywhere in God's word, it is His word that brings life and nothing else. In Genesis 1, God said, let us make man and woman in our image. And what happens? Man and women are created. So life there is given in His word. Man is called out by the Word of God. In Genesis 12, Abraham is called. God says, go out to your country and I will make a nation of you and I will bless you. Man is to live by the Word in Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments literally means the Ten Words. These are ten words that God has given us to live by. In Psalm 119, in verse 93, the psalmist writes, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And in that chapter in Psalms, over ten times, the concept of that life comes through God's Word is taught. And then in Romans 10, 17, we hear Paul say that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So how is someone brought to life in Christ? It is through God's Word. So as we think about our lost family members, as we think about our non-believing friends... What is the greatest thing that we can give them? The Word of God. The Word of God. I don't bring new life. You don't bring new life. God's Word makes one wise for salvation. So as we minister in this congregation, as we minister to our friends, what must be primary if we want people to come to salvation in Christ? the Word of God. Because it doesn't matter what else we do, if we're not teaching the Word of God, if we're not uh, expounding on the Word of God, then people will not come to faith in Christ. There is never an account in this Word, in the Bible, where someone comes to faith in Christ outside of the preaching and teaching and explanation of God's Word. It doesn't happen. You will look in vain. So, one of the things that we are to be committed to as a church is the teaching of God's Word. Because we have a desire that people would be made wise for salvation. And if there's anyone here this morning, our desire is that you would be made wise for salvation. And that happens through learning and believing upon God's Word. So we see that God's Word alone gives life. God's Word alone gives life. But the next thing in in verses 16 and 17 is that God's Word alone sustains life. Paul goes on to write, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Paul starts in the first of verse 16 with a theological statement saying that all Scripture meaning all this that I'm holding in my hands, talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament, is God-breathed or inspired. So the theological statement is that this is God's Word. This is what He has spoken to His people. This, these are the words that He gave to His prophets of old for His people until Christ shall return. Now theology should always be applicable to our lives. And so Paul unpacks the application or the implication of the theological statement when he says the result of the fact that God has given us His inspired Scripture is this, that it's profitable, that it's useful, that it's beneficial. Beneficial for what? He tells us, first of all, for teaching. And notice the progression of thought here. He says the first thing it's profitable for is teaching. So he's saying that it is a good thing when the church gathers... And someone opens God's Word and expounds on it and teaches it. It's profitable, it's beneficial, it's useful. And what is the result of the teaching? Notice what he says, secondly. First, it's profitable for teaching. The second thing he says is that it's profitable for reproof. So what happens when the Word of God is taught? Hopefully, as the Word of God is taught and as we gather in Sunday school uh, and, we, and we hear God's Word uh, in our lessons and as we gather for Sunday morning worship and as we're here on Wednesday night and as you're at home studying God's Word, hopefully one of the things that takes place is that we are convicted of our sin. We are convicted of where we're going wrong. And it says that, that's why Paul says that it's profitable for reproof. Meaning that there should be times when we come to God's Word, and as we're reading and as we're hearing it being taught, the Holy Spirit works in our heart in such a way that we say, Wow, I am doing something wrong. I have been reminded of my sin in my life. Or I have realized that I have not been doing things as I should have been doing. I have not been loving my wife as I should. I have not been loving and serving my husband as I should. I have not been the pastor that I should have been. I have not been the teacher that I should have been. I've not been the church member that I should have been. Or we're not doing things as we should as a church. That if that's not happening in our personal lives and in the, lives of, in the life of the church, then something is wrong. Because Paul is saying one of the things that happens when God's Word is taught is that reproof comes. Because none of us in here are Jesus. We all have sin in our lives. We all have faults in our lives. Therefore, we all need the teaching of God's Word so that we can receive the reproof that we need. So that God's Word says, you shouldn't be doing that, Corey. You shouldn't be doing that. So it is taught, and then it provides reproof. And then what's the next thing that it provides? Correction. Reproof without correction is incomplete. So God's word not only tells you what you're doing wrong but it tells you what you should do right. So God's word the reproof is don't seek wise or don't seek counsel from the wicked. So what's the correction? Seek counsel from the wise. Don't do this, do this. Don't love and submit yourselves and be a slave to evil love and submit yourselves and be a slave to Christ. So as God's Word is taught, reproof is is hopefully received and then correction is hopefully received. So God's Word is taught, it shows us where we are in error and then it shows us how to correct our errors. So it's powerful for teaching, reproof, correction and then what's the final thing? Training in... Righteousness. So what happens when we hear the Word of God and we are reproved and then corrected? The final result of all these things continually happening is that it's training in righteousness. Unfortunately, my fear is that a lot of times we have the idea of that, well, once I have become a Christian, then that's fine. That's all that God desires. That is not all that God desires. God desires for you to continually be learning from His Word. To allow His Word to penetrate every aspect of your life. So that you just don't have the appearance of godliness. But that as we unpack your life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. At home, at 10 o'clock. At work, at 3 o'clock. Regardless of where you are. When we run our fingers through it. We see biblical saturation. We see that God's Word is saturating your lives and that you don't just give the appearance of godliness by being here on Sunday morning. Because as Paul is saying here that what should be happening in your life is that you're being taught God's Word. You're getting reproof from God's Word. You're getting correction from God's Word. And the result of those three things is the final thing of training in righteousness. That you're being trained you are exerting your mind and your efforts and your energies to be trained into what? What is the last thing that he says in verse 17? What's, what's the end goal of all this? What's the goal of teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness? That the man of God, woman of God, person of God, however you want to put that, may be competent or qualified, or complete, or adequate, regardless of what your translation says, you get the point. Competency in the faith. Equipped for every good work. It's amazing Paul's argument here. In verse 13 he gave this picture of the evil people and impostors. What they do is they go from bad to worse, they deceive and they're being deceived. The opposite of that, Timothy, is to be competent in the faith. Equipped for every good work. So this is what Paul was exhorting Timothy to. And this is what he is exhorting this congregation to. To be competent in your faith. It is not the pastor alone's responsibility to be competent in the faith. But it is every follower of Jesus Christ's responsibility to be competent in your faith. And equipped for every good work. Biblical saturation. That God's word is permeating. That, it, that it's penetrating every aspect of your life. So that when you hear God's Word, that, that your heart doesn't rebel it, rebel it. So even now, as you're hearing God's Word and the instruction from God's Word, the prayer and the hope is that it's not just, just hitting here and bouncing off, but that it's penetrating, that it's saturating, that it's permeating your heart and your soul and your life so that you may be competent, that you may be uh, equipped, that you may be uh, qualified for every good work. And that is the opposite of evil people who are imposters, deceiving and being deceived, going from bad to worse. So the prayer and hope is that one of the characteristics that Redbud is known for is biblical saturation. So that when someone meets someone from Redbud, and they have a conversation with him, they, they, they walk away saying, well, those Redbud people, they know God's Word. And it's not just that they know these Bible stories and stuff, but they, God's Word is being applied in their lives. They live differently than other people do. They talk differently than other people do. They interact with each other differently than other people do. And why is that so? biblical saturation competent in the faith equipped for every good work are you competent in your faith are you equipped for every good work if not, Paul says you need to be in God's word so how do we give life to people God's word alone gives life How do we sustain life? How do we grow in sanctification? God's Word grows us in sanctification. God's Word gives life. God's Word sustains life. And so, what should that mean in your life? A couple just practical suggestions. Number one, commit yourselves to the church. As long as I am the pastor of Redbud Baptist Church, the teaching of God's Word will be priority. Because it gives life, it sustains life. It is our source of life, and it is where we receive our nourishment. So, my prayer is that you commit yourselves to this church. Because on Sunday morning, you will hear the teaching of God's Word. On Sunday morning Sunday school, you are hearing the teaching of God's Word. On Wednesday night, you are hearing the teaching of God's Word. If you want your life to be sustained spiritually, Paul says you need to be under the instruction of God's Word. So commit yourselves to be a part of this congregation. The second thing is, commit yourselves to personally be under God's Word. In that at home, you are reading God's Word. And when you, what, what is more beneficial? That you read a chapter or you read one verse and really understand that verse. Read one verse and really understand that verse. So my encouragement is to you, don't just have a thing and you check it off and that's your list and you've done it. Think about what you're reading. As Paul says to Timothy, you have learned it, you have known it. Meaning that you applied yourself mentally. Apply yourself in your mind. God has given you a mind. Sufficient enough to be here this morning. So it's sufficient enough to read and meditate upon God's Word. Do that. Do that in your life. The third thing is that if you have a family at your home, make that a part of your family time. Where you're reading God's Word. You're meditating on God's Word. Where the moms and dads, notice what effect that that, uh, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother had upon him. Paul says it's from the fact that the time that you were an infant that your mother and grandmother were teaching you the Word. The Word. So when you ask, at what age should we start teaching God's Word? Before they come out of the womb, read God's Word to them. So that they are saturated with it. That's all they know is from the beginning that God is great. His Word is true. His Word gives life. There is life in righteousness and the paths of His, His Word. And there is death and destruction in rebellion against His Word. From the time that they are born. So, commit yourselves to the church. Commit yourselves to individual times. And commit yourselves to family times. Those are just uh, beginnings. And if you have children in the home, I have uh, three books here for different ages. If you're interested, I would love to talk to you more about They have excellent resources for Scripture and for hymns and for questions for training our children in righteousness and training them to know God's Word. And... By doing that, we are training ourselves to know God's Word. So that when people think of red blood, they don't think of us as just, oh yeah, that's a conservative Baptist church that believes in the authority of God's Word. But that they are a conservative Baptist church that loves God's Word and finds their life in God's Word. And they apply God's Word. It's their source of life. And every aspect of life that I see in them, I see evidences of God's transforming Word. They have been saturated with God's Word. Let's go to the Lord.